Today we have a conversation with Charles Githler, who has a wide-ranging career in finance and in real estate. He's developed quite a few very iconic projects around the Sarasota area and beyond. And we speak about finance and some general economic trends, also some inspirations for developing your own career. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Charles Githler. Welcome to the Preferred Shore Podcast. Here's your host, Robert Milligan. So Charles, thank you so much for coming to the podcast today, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation. You've had such a wide-ranging career across finance and real estate and still working on some really uh, exciting projects and things, so I'm really looking forward to this. Well, it's my pleasure to be here. Uh, I, I really admire what you've done here at Preferred Shore, Robert, and, um, and I just can't tell you how excited I am about what's happened in Sarasota and where we're going. Absolutely. Well, I thought if it's okay, maybe we could start in the beginning and kind of talk about where maybe your curiosity was developed to lead you into finance and real estate and, you know, all of these things. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a secret. I don't talk about it very much, but <laughs> um, when I was about uh, 14, 13, 14 years old, my mom had brought me down here to Sarasota to teach Latin at Out of Door Academy. So we lived right? on Siesta Key. Okay. And uh, she uh, fell ill. So I came out of Brookside and went into a boarding school that was headquartered down where the um, uh, <clears throat> Hidden Harbor Marina is. Okay. Called, um, it was part of the Holiday Harbor group and it was uh, called the Flint School. And there um, we learned a lot about uh, history and and government and economics and it started my whole interest in um, in economics and finance in particular uh, the the founders of the school were um, subscribers to various investment advisory newsletters ah. who were focused on uh, inflation hedge investments particularly gold uh, today there's other inflation hedges we can talk about that um, but, but it was, this was happening at a time that almost no economist uh, understood the forces that were driving the markets. Mm -hmm. And uh, yet a, f a few of these advisories uh, were aware of it. It caught um, Wall Street largely flat-footed. Hmm. And uh, I was fascinated by that. Yeah. I thought to myself, if you could really find insights that n no one else was seeing, you know, you could do so much better. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what sparked my interest in, um, in finance and investing. And uh, as soon as I could, I, I started attending conferences where some of these people spoke. And uh, they were, the conferences were a little too focused for my uh, way of thinking on, on inflation hedges. And so uh, it occurred to me that a, a conference that was more broadly offered on all types of investing, mm -hmm. uh, all types of publicly traded investing primarily, mm -hmm. would, be, uh, would be the way to go. And that's how I, I did it. But I, I did it by um, finding a guy, actually, who also happened to be residing on uh, Siesta Key. You might have heard of him. His name is Dr. Dennis Waitley. Okay, yes. And, and he's the uh, best-selling author of, uh, of um, the Psychology of Winning series. Right, right. And uh, he had um, somehow got himself into producing conferences uh, uh, for continuing med medical education. Mm. So he had a, a working knowledge of how to negotiate the venue, the hotel t uh, typically, and <clears throat> set up a registrar book to track who pre-registers and then um, have everything prepared when, pe when people get there. And the, Interesting. The, the nuts and bolts basic of, uh, of, of producing a conference and <clears throat> with him I produced the first conference in September of 1978 in San Francisco at the Hyatt out there okay which was a fairly new hotel and we um, we had uh, it was a huge success I, I, I was charging $500 a head wow and we had about 1200 attendees my show goodness up. so it was <laughs> it was a huge early success very encouraging um, we had uh, uh, former President Ford, Bill Simon, William F. Buckley, uh, wow. Arthur Laffer, who is still very, very topical today, and um, and lots of other uh, well-known speakers. Probably about thirty of them. 
That's that's amazing. And were you personally responsible to uh, recruit these leaders to come in and, and speak? Or yes, wow. I mean the, the the really big names we got through um, we got through a, a, a speakers bureau in in New York. Mm -hmm. uh, but a few of them I had met at some of these conferences I'd attended, including the editor of Barron's and William F. Buckley, whose uh, whose sister went to. Smith with my mother and you know so I had little connections yeah. here and there. <laughs> well that's incredible though I mean because uh, that that's a massive undertaking to pull something like that together and and so, to, so there was 1200 attendees to the first conference did I yes, hear that correctly? I was 22. That is amazing and um, and then I'm sure you went on to do more conferences after that. So, yeah. Yeah, my second conference was at the Omni Hotel in Miami uh, uh, that fall actually, no, no, the, the following February uh, and we had uh, uh, Ronald Reagan and um, and several others, uh, Alan Greenspan was a speaker. Is that right? Wow. Before he became Fed Chairman and uh, but there were quite a few other, the backbone of the conferences were all these uh, excellent speakers who uh, were just known for mm -hmm. being prescient in terms of observing markets and mm -hmm. re recommending investments that, that performed well. Right, and, and if I'm not mistaken, I think it was um, Warren Buffett who said, relative to efficient market theory, where, you know, as you mentioned before, that, that you were fascinated, you could have insights and information that, that gives you an edge, so to speak, well, you know, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, he doesn't believe in efficient market theory. He said he wouldn't have had a career if the market were always efficient, you know. That's, so. Well, that's the great debate. <laughs> yeah. uh, it was actually Burton Malkiel who wrote The Random Walk Down Wall Street, mm -hmm. whose book, um, in his view, proves that no one, uh, the markets are purely efficient. Mm -hmm. And and the index, the indexers, and I interviewed uh, uh, Jack Bogle, who founded Vanguard, wow. And his view is the same. You know, the best way to invest is to be in a broadly diversified mm -hmm. um, uh, basket of stocks. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I agree with, with Warren Buffett, and, and I think that um, you can beat the market despite the fact that mm -hmm. perhaps 20% only of um, professional managers do so. And from time to time, uh, so-called retail investor does better or, or worse than that. Right, right. Well, I agree. Jack Bogle's a legend, and um, I think he started the whole mutual fund industry, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but, but yeah, there, there are, I think, um, a, a divergent book was uh, Phil Fisher wrote a book called Common Stocks and Uncommon Profits, which was talking a little bit more about being an efficient stock picker. And I think uh, Warren said before, if you, you think of your investment career as a 20 punch, you know, 20, 20 punch uh, card with that you could only make 20 punches, 20 hole punches in the, over the course of your whole career. And of course, you know, you don't have to hold um, completely true to that. But if you really think about, you know, picking strategically some better values and things. So I, I don't know. That's the, <laughs> that is great. the great debate. No, <laughs> it's uh, yeah. Warren was also famous for saying that you can, you're, it's, it's like baseball, but unlike baseball, you don't, you get more than three, three, mm -hmm. three, three pitches. Yeah, three pitches. You get you can swing with pitches, and you can just watch them go by. That's right. Yeah, and you never strike out. And this is this is very true of real estate. <clears throat> that is true you as know, well. You don't have to buy every single um, property that goes on the market. Yes, I'm curious. Um, you know, you said you're reading investment newsletters and things. Were there any any fund managers or leaders in investment that you'd say really were formative to that you followed and and kind of your your own uh, methodologies and ideas are, are most like well uh, yes there's fundamental and there's 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 technical so mm -hmm. fundamental uh, Sir John Templeton would probably stand out the most and he's, he addressed probably 15 of my conferences from London to wow. uh, uh, Florida to the Bahamas to um, I think also in New York uh, Sir John Templeton would show up and and uh, and speak, and it was really quite humbling that that he would do something like that. Absolutely, for yeah. for our conferences. But he believed strongly that uh, in, investor education needed to be supported, mm -hmm. and um, that's. I hope, I really do hope that uh, I'll be able to repeat that uh, in my own uh, years yes. <laughs> as I move onward here, <laughs> mm -hmm. and. Uh, he was he was amazing, but his thesis, of course, was um, uh, the great value investor 
-hmm. And so he didn't care too much about what the market, the overall market was doing and what the, the technical picture of a stock looked like. Right. Um, in contrast, the, the market technicians, whether it was uh, Stan Weinstein or Joe Granville or Ned Davis, uh, who lives here in mm -hmm. Sarasota County, um, they're all looking at the actual um, stock price uh, patterns and when they break down through certain mm -hmm. uh, moving averages and so forth, uh, you know, you lighten up on that. Right. Honestly, I, I practice both. Uh, I have a very long-term portfolio that has a number of well-known names in it that, that are, um, and I can't afford to sell any of it because I've got such gains in it and the gains, the capital gains taxes are probably rising, so it'll right. further disincent. Then I have uh, some, some accounts that are non-taxable and, and, mm -hmm. um, and I, I really do watch, uh, and I'm more like uh, Dennis Gartman. You know, if okay. something goes down 5%, I start lightening up. If it goes down 8%, you know, I, I get out. And if it goes down 10%, I, I disavow any knowledge of ever hearing of the stock in the first place. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's, uh, I really do that. It's, mm -hmm. uh, and, and yet, uh, and, you know, there's, there's, this, uh, there's these other portfolios. And, of course, in real estate, you know, I've, I've, had, I've had assets 20, 30 years at a time. So it's, wow. it's very, uh, you, you, you can't apply uh, the same uh, investment discipline to all your investments. You, you have to. Right. It sounds like, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you were a, a bit more heavily interested and maybe even personally weighted in, in stock market and equities and things earlier on and then transitioned more into real estate later? Or yes, yes <laughs> Except for real estate uh, development, at the same time I started the, confer uh, the, the conferences in 78, I, I began uh, building uh, little condos on Bradenton Beach and the Pomasola Bay Estates okay. off of 75, uh, 75th Street up in Bradenton that, mm -hmm. that leads down to Pomasola Boulevard. And then we had a couple of lots directly on the water, but it, it, was, a, um, it was a subdivision. It's, it's there. Um, so, um, and I did so with, with contractors who, you know, knew, um, knew a lot more about it. It mm -hmm. was, uh, it was probably, uh, I probably could have done better, but it got me into it. Sure. <laughs> you know, the old saying that the fellow that comes along with the experience meets the guy that puts up some money and yep. at the end of the deal, the guy, <laughs> guy who had the money gets the experience. <laughs> yep. <laughs> mm -hmm. But it was, uh. No, I, we did, we did, I didn't get hurt in it, but um, mm -hmm. as you move along, uh, it, you know, it certainly got my feet wet, and then uh, I started buying downtown real estate in the early 1980s, um, where the, um, where the Jewel is located now, Okay. which used to be uh, uh, the sports, the sports, uh, what was it called, the sports bar thing down there. Yeah, I don't know. That's a little before my time. I, got, I come here, I think, in 97. <laughs> well, which brings, me, which brings me to the transformation of Sarasota, because yeah. you've seen an enormous, because in, in those days, downtown Sarasota not only uh, closed up, everybody's heard that. Sure. But what a lot of people haven't heard is my tenants in that building on Lower Main Street uh, put up a sign that like a gone fishing sign. Yeah. And they would just not be open for most of the summer. Wow. <laughs> and the downtown was as dead as a doornail. Yeah. Uh, and at night, it, uh, if you encountered people, you, you had to worry about it. You know, <laughs> you funny. might not be, yeah. be encountering the right person. Right, right. And, um, and that led all the way to the, uh, uh, despite that, I was investing in other words, others were to people like, uh, Mark Hoffman. Um, we were all stalwarts, but then came that the city um, applied for and received a grant for about $1.1 million. That's all mm -hmm. it was. Mm -hmm. And that um, created all the neck outs as you go down Main Street mm. with the trees and the bricks and the crosswalks uh, that gave the downtown <clears throat> a new look. And then there was a yeah. storefront grant um, system that was, that was implemented. So if you owned a, a, a property and you've applied for, you could receive a grant to upgrade your storefront. I see. And little by little, that, that came along. In fact, we did that at the Palm Tower that I owned during that period, okay. uh, which is at the corner of Palm and Main, uh, where uh, Classico is. Mm -hmm. And uh, we must have done, 
18 or 20 uh, renovation projects in that building over the course of our ownership. But, Is that right? Wow. Uh, but the last owner of the bookstore, before it became a restaurant, because it was called Charlie's News, no relation to me. Yeah. But uh, they, they're the ones that uh, asked me if, if, if it was okay to take all the fabric off of the awnings that I had placed there from the from the money that was oh right <laughs> that was okay. granted to me from the city <laughs> mm-hmm. and i said okay what you know so they they thought they could grow these vines around them and they mm. in fact did that and mm-hmm. that's what you see there now yeah and it is a beautiful look there now it's, it's really it's, it really yeah. is that's a that's a very old building yes yeah so, I think the 1920 it was originally the hotel sarasota okay and and uh lower ceiling heights uh but but uh yeah so I probably did five or six major renovation type and even new build projects, including the property across the street where Epicure is located. And, mm-hmm. and so, um, but it's, uh, and then I had, so it's it's all been good. Yeah. One thing I'd be curious about, and, you know, definitely want to talk more about your projects in and around Sarasota and, and beyond, um, but we have a lot of young real estate professionals in our audience. And what I found in, in this age, it seems like with all the social media and things, there's a lot of younger people who are kind of a little bit impatient and they're wanting you know, instant gratification to some extent with their career and with success and things. And you know, I'd be curious maybe if you can um, share some insights about, you know, when you were beginning in, in your real estate career and sourcing these opportunities, finding, finding deals in real estate, you know, maybe, you know, how, how that came about, if it, if it happened fast, if it happened, you know, if it took a little more patience, I, I don't know, just thinking about it from a younger person who's wondering, well, you know, how did you get involved in all of these things? How did these opportunities come? I, I think the, the key is that you have to be prepared to be lucky. Mm-hmm. And like uh, because opportunities will come along, mm-hmm. but you can't force opportunity where none exists. And uh, what, what I think uh, now is, I believe, the best time to be starting as, as a young person in real estate in this in this area and in this region. I love to hear that. And and the main reason for that is, as my old old friend, I've known him for more than forty five years, I think, uh, Pat Neal. He mm. calls it a boom within a boom. <laughs> and he went to Penn. He's he's much smarter than me. And he said, <laughs> what he's talking about is the overall U.S. economy is still doing well, but the Florida economy. Yes. And its growth is doing even better. Yes. But I would take it one step further and say that we've got three layers going on because mm-hmm. of because Sarasota is has finally reached that level of um, escape velocity. Yes. Uh, where our infrastructure and our reputation um, and by infrastructure, I mean the hotels and the airport and and of course, all the roads and other things that are uh, thought of typically as infrastructure have have reached a point. Um, restaurants and museums and all our other um, social gathering spots, beaches, clubs, um, are all um, upgrading, renovating, yes, uh, increasing, so that um, the gap that has existed between Sarasota and places like Naples, Florida, you know, also super famous international um, secondary cities like mm-hmm. Palm Beach, Naples. Um, uh, the gap between those markets and our market is closing. <clears throat> They're rising, to right. be sure. Uh, but, but our, but our uh, market is closing that gap. Yes. And we're seeing it in, in prices and so forth. But that doesn't mean that there's still, that the opportunity is gone. Right. Because at the end of the day, it's, it's what you have up here and it's what you have in relationships. And that, that I think is the key for people to focus on who are getting into the business, is to get to know everybody and work a lot of hours. Yeah. I mean, I was accused of working like a dog, you know. <laughs> That's funny. I'm from, I'm from Princeton, New Jersey, so some of, these, some of these words that take on two or three syllables that I only learned as one. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> well, you know, I, I really love to hear you say that there's never been a better time for a younger um, person to become involved in real estate. 
because so many younger people do kind of have that that vantage point. If only I just started earlier. If I started in the '80s or the, you know, and 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 they, you know, sometimes feel like uh, like like all opportunity is kind of gone. Everything's been done. All the good ideas are have already been had. <laughs> you know, no, now is the, now is the best time to start. It really is. Um, I would I would uh, acknowledge because I've spoken um, a, a few times to the graduate school at USF School of Hotel and Restaurant Management. I'm on that board mm -hmm. since it started here, since we started the school here. Um, we've, we have uh, about 250 students or so, um, <clears throat> people that want to understand better how to manage and operate hotels and other hospitality assets like restaurants. Mm -hmm. But, but um, at, at toward, the, toward the question and answer period, it, it evolves toward where do we get capital? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there too is a is is kind of a um, an important. Uh, you need to network uh, mm -hmm. with with uh, passive investors that are willing to uh, are willing to spot you. Yes. And um, I that's the way I got going after I, I did a few one on one or two on two or three person partnerships. But uh, after a while, I started syndicating. Okay, and um, it's it's easier now actually mm -hmm. to to syndicate than it was then in terms right. of the uh, legal pitfalls and and uh, structure and everything you need to uh, concern yourself with. Very interesting. You know, a lot of times people ask, "How do I raise funds or or uh, attract investors?" And it, it all really starts with the vision because you can't go around and say. I'd like to have money, and then, you know, for what? Well, I don't know yet, but if I had the money. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. I haven't ever heard more profound, uh, more profound observation because a, a really good idea with, with at least a modicum of, of detail put behind it mm -hmm. and, a, and a business plan, a, a five or six point business plan, doesn't need to, doesn't need to be 35 points, okay? Right. <laughs> but but it, it's something that could become fairly easily a 35 point business plan. Um, so at least you have a pro forma, at least you have a, a start point, an end point, a market identified, uh, a means of, of getting it from point A to the end. Mm -hmm. uh, if you've got that idea and you've got it under control, there's no problem getting the money. That's exactly The right. money is searching for that, it yearning is. for that, dying for that. Yes. In Sarasota, Florida, it's, you know, the deal is done. Right. But to your point, you can't just walk around and say, well, give me money and, and, because I'm forming a blind pool and I have no background. Right. I mean, that, that's just a, that's not a, that's kind of a non-starter. Yeah, you, you had, it seems like you'd have to do a little work to form that compelling vision, you know, and, uh, and if, if you have that and you can articulate that in a concise way, then the, there's more than enough money out there. You know, it seems like it would be sensible to me because I'm, again, thinking of our younger members of audience that if you almost pretended as though you had $100 million yes. and you're seeking an opportunity for it, yes. and then you find the opportunity and you say, okay, well, wait a second. Now, I, I guess I don't actually have the $100 million. That would be the easiest way idea. to... Re <laughs> That's a good strategy. You know, where do I find it, you know? <laughs> yeah. That would be the, the easiest way to reverse engineer the It, it the would, yeah. I'm not, sure the, I'm not sure the scale of $100 million dollars but probably not I, necessary the concept, the good. <laughs> i mean if you if you had six million dollars for example of equity sure. and you're and probably you're put, a better place to and start you're putting together a <laughs> capital stack because just uh one of the other issues i've found in in um uh, large-scale uh luxury uh condominium real estate development is the the, the construction loan um, and the, the, the litigiousness of the business mm -hmm. uh, are, are actually are uh, creating a, a barrier to en new entrants into that yes. into that market. Because mm -hmm. um, construction lenders, even if you've got um, all the equity required, and and even if you can get the pre-sales, uh, construction lenders, except for super hot markets like this where the, mm -hmm. to, to quote uh, Warren Buffett, when the wind blows hard enough, even the turkeys fly. So you've got, <laughs> <laughs> yep, I so love that one. <laughs> so you've got less, so you've got less qualified um, uh, uh, developers out there today that are still getting construction loans. Yes. But from typically, uh, and we saw this just five, five or six years ago, um, they really wanted to see 
uh, a group of developers or a developer that had, had that had gone through a couple of cycles mm-hmm. and had um, plenty of experience, including bad experiences. Sure. So that so that they they knew that come what will, they had a pretty good chance of seeing the project succeed and yes. and getting paid off and getting their interest. Mm-hmm. The the um, but um, uh, so I guess what I'm saying is the construction loans. There is construction money out there for new projects. And there's quite a bit of um, of uh, acquisition financing uh, for new projects. Yes, I, I would be extremely careful, unless uh, unless it was a a, ex- a very stable asset um, about uh, commercial mortgage-backed securities. Mm-hmm. I've had very bad experiences with uh, CMBS financing, and they have uh, the best salesmen um, <laughs> pushing them on us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, these guys could could sell anything, and the um, the, the complexity and the, uh, um, the lack of of bank like flexibility. Uh, if if you need to sell off part of the property, or if you need to refinance, or if you need to exit for some reason, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> or you just want to prepay the thing, is. Uh, extraordinarily onerous and the banks have become and other uh, non-CMBS lenders have become far more um, flex uh, their terms of are matching more closely I see the what used to be a, uh, a uh, an advantage of the uh, of the commercial mortgage backed securities mm-hmm very interesting that's a good good insight it, yeah mm-hmm. I, I Beware. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is, I'm, well, not a, I'm not a salesman for that. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, and, and I, I like kind of where this is going because, it, you know, it sounds like there are some disciplines and maybe even personality traits or characteristics that help someone be a successful investor. You know, having a little bit of a fundamental understanding of the law and contracts and things is obviously useful. Is there anything else that comes to mind maybe that you, you think have, is essential to be a, a good investor? Maybe is it different with real estate than, than stocks? Well, I, to your point, I would pay very close attention to the laws which are changing. Um, and in my experience, of course, uh, my, uh, my embracing of economics uh, and more to the point, the, the economic um, outcome of or the market outcome of economic policy, sure. um, which led to the inflation, and today is leading to an inflation everyone compares to the 70s, mm-hmm. and the the rate of inflation appears like the early 70s, um, which um, you know, in, which led to an you know a, a double digit inflation rate for um, one decade, and then. Um, you know, up until about uh, 26 years ago, um, you know, high six and seven. So yes. we remember that. But but in, in that case, it was a, it was a supply constriction um, because of uh, the Cold War mm-hmm. uh, and no broadband yeah. and uh, not much international trade with China or Russia or the Eastern Bloc. Mm-hmm. And uh, about the time uh, in the early 80s. You know, we had the uh, the end of the Cold War, and we we had technology coming in, electronic technology and other forms of technology, and tax cuts and and basically government deregulation, enabling um, and and opening up worldwide trade, which uh, opened up supply. The mm-hmm. thing that people don't um, appreciate it as much as they need to, and I, but I do think that this the current supply chain interruption is making people take notice mm-hmm. that when you constrict supply for any number of reasons, and today we're doing that, you know, in three or four different fronts. In energy, um, we're shutting down pipelines, and in um, in labor, we're paying people to stay home, mm-hmm. um, and and in other forms of um, in other forms, we're, we're regulating and, and allowing uh, either unions or regulations to, to constrict uh, uh, ports. And mm-hmm. so we've got a lot of supply constraint um, in the world. And, sure. and, it's, uh, and the, the economy is coping with that. Having said that, I think that's going to pass within the next couple of years. Um, so this, this particular bout of inflation is likely to be different uh, 
mm-hmm. um, even when it comes to um, the the demand side of inflation, which has been gunned up and uh, because gunned by by me by that I mean uh, uh, the demand has been uh, exacerbated because of all the stimulus, right? Um, the stimulus the, that started during Trump and and has gone into overdrive uh, in recent years, mm-hmm. and and um, however, it's it's quite possible that our economy will absorb that if we can just get the supply issue um, back under control. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile. Back at Sarasota, mm-hmm. uh, we have we're going to continue to have a snowball effect of people throughout the world um, deciding that um, United States, Florida, mm-hmm. West Coast, de-urbanization uh, mm-hmm. from all these cities that are having a lot of endemic problems that aren't going to go away anytime soon. Uh, uh, c- compounded with the fact that you, it's becoming less and less necessary to go to work in a big tall building in an urban center. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> so, so uh, Sarasota continues to benefit as, as a result of that. But getting back to the, uh, I feel like I've given you such a good answer, you, you wish you'd ask the question. No, it's, per- no. <laughs> no, it's perfect. Um, Ludwig Kaiser used to say that all the time. <laughs> That's a great saying, but uh, I, think, uh, I think this is fantastic just to hear your, your thoughts about the general economy. Yeah, and, I think, yeah. so I, I, I'm trying to answer your question by saying that you do need to, uh, to, keep, uh, to, to keep tabs on what's going on. I'll tell you a good publication that people should probably... Um, look at and it's not as well known as investors business daily okay it's yeah. really easy to read mm-hmm. uh it has a, a general uh global economic section in the front and then it, it's all about stocks in the second section um so if you're not into uh, buying and holding and trading stocks at all it, it may not be as helpful um but it's it's not that expensive and mm-hmm. the, the commentary is is really good mm-hmm. and there's a whole page mm-hmm. on on how to be successful Yes. There's a whole page dedicated to six or seven or eight points uh, to follow, you know, keep learning and all Mm -hmm. these uh, seven or eight points about how to be successful that, you know, your audience would be, I think, uh, Mm -hmm. could could really benefit from. Are there any expensive publications that come to mind that you would recommend? I know some of them get up there. (laughs) (laughs) Not not for not really for for this audience Mm -hmm. um, that. They, they get into much more esoteric topics. Right, right. Yeah, how about, I guess, while we're on the topic, how about um, books? Are there any books that come to mind that have had a profound impact in your the way that you think about investing and or, or anything, for that matter? Oh, goodness. Um, I have a huge library of books, and I'm trying to remember all the titles now. The, <laughs> and a number of the books that made a huge impact on me are not as relevant today. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's funny how they, when they come at, across your path at a certain time in your life, yeah. it, it kind of gets you to the next step then, but in retrospect might not be quite as... Harry, yeah. Harry Brown's uh, with, with, had, had written two best-selling books about um, how to profit from, from the coming inflation. Okay. And again, that's, becoming... that's, that's what we're going into now is right. inflation. And I, I think that is something that, notwithstanding that it, it, it will be transitory, not as much as the current administration wanted it to be transitory, but mm-hmm. I would suspect that within five or six years it'll get back under control just because of the deflationary um, forces mm-hmm. of technology and global trade. And now that the, you know, the genie's out of the bottle on global trade, even China isn't going to be able to mm-hmm. uh, completely look inward and uh, if they w- even if they wanted to, right? And the same with Eastern Europe and and the rest of the world, mm-hmm. uh, and the rest of Asia. So, um, inflation is going to come back under control, and and that's that's important because we don't want to have a hyperinflation. Correct. But Harry Brown had written those books, but he also wrote a book that I think is good for people that's off topic, um, and it's entitled "How I Found Freedom in an Unfree World." And he talks about mm. all of the um, social and other um, constraints that are placed upon us. And he, he became the, um, I think, twice 
uh, the national candidate for the Libertarian Party. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So interesting. He, um, he's quite an interesting guy. He, he passed away about uh, 15, 20 years ago. But okay. um, his books were, were interesting. He spoke at a number of my conferences, of course. And, yeah. Uh, very articulate, debated. Uh, hmm. So um, I'll definitely check those out. Yeah. I, I, um, but there are so many good books out there. Um, I can't think of a, a single one. <laughs> well, uh, we can always, if you wanted to send a list over yeah. later on, we can always add them to comments. And okay, to yeah, this. I'll do but, that. Uh, yeah, that would, that would be great. So, you know, speaking of inflation, you know, you, you mentioned that you dealt a lot with that on the money show. And, you know, there's some um, uh, traditional hedges against inflation, such as gold and things. Uh, I'm curious what your thoughts would be now, what some potential, you know, what, what a, a good strategy to mitigate inflationary risks would be for an investor today? Yeah, well, I, I'm glad you asked that question. Um, <clears throat> and it's really, it comes down to real estate. The, the Vanguard, which was Jack Bogle's uh, company uh, that he started, mm -hmm. has a, um, a, a mutual fund of real estate investment um, assets, both real estate investment trusts and C-Corp traded mm -hmm. huge companies, you know, mm -hmm. uh, like the shopping center developers and so forth. But it's pretty broad. And, and it, it was up um, like, like twice as much. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, it was up 27, 28 percent uh, year to date versus 24 percent mm. in in this S&P 500, which is pretty outstanding, it's which quite is a run. really outstanding because <laughs> yeah. it it's a really broad index. So mm -hmm. if you had a if you had an index, if you could create an index of Florida only, it would it would probably be 35 or 40 percent. Yeah, you're probably right. And um, and I, I suppose that would be commercial and residential and other types of um, non-developed real estate, but um, the, the important point here is that all the while, the price of gold has hardly moved. It's true. Uh, for, uh, this year. Mm -hmm. Now, it, it's, it, it, um, history shows, uh, and this was an article from Investor's Business Daily that okay. I just read. <laughs> really, and all the people that were quoted, I know them personally. Oh, that's neat. <laughs> <laughs> and including uh, Sam Stovall, whose late father lived here in Sarasota uh, when he retired mm -hmm. at 888. Wow. And... Um, but, but um, gold has not moved. But the article pointed out that uh, it takes a couple of years of an inflation to really be um, get you know, roaring over 3 4 5% mm -hmm. for gold to start to move. So I wouldn't be surprised to see gold move. But until it, does, yeah. until it does, don't invest in it. Right. My other, my other um, probably provocative... Um, <laughs> point that I'd like to make, particularly to your audience, is be extremely careful. And if, and, and if you want to read that right, I would say, stay away from Bitcoin. I, yeah. I, it, is, it is far too um, volatile of an asset. Mm -hmm. to, if you're, if you're um, starting out and you've got some savings set aside and, and you need to use it to go after an opportunity or for mm -hmm. a rainy day or to buy a house or something, um, don't be um, compelled by the fear of missing out. Right, fear right. of missing out works for, <clears throat> works for real estate when it's in a steady uptrend and, and there mm -hmm. are not more than a 5% decline. But Bitcoin's already gone through two 50% declines. Right. And that's, that's damaging. Yeah, and the market cap of Bitcoin and crypto assets in general, it's kind of nosebleed territory <laughs> right now. And it does make you wonder economically if that, if that makes sense. You know, I've, I've always thought of gold more as, a, as an insurance policy against a, a meltdown in a currency or something like that, but never really thought of it as an investment. Um, same same with, with Bitcoin and, and these crypto ass, you know, assets. I think that if you are expecting the rules of the game to change in a way that is, is very difficult to anticipate, you know, maybe there's a case to be made that that uh, Bitcoin would be would perform really well in that in that sort of scenario. But I think it's far 
far more likely that we kind of stay the the course from the in terms of using a, a, a dollar in this country, for example, um, th things like that. So I, I agree with the sentiment that you shouldn't invest from a place of worry, from from the FOMO, the fear of missing out. You know, you should yeah. you should uh, invest because your facts and your reasoning are sound, not because you're afraid of missing out. <laughs> there there have been um, fantastic opportunities and will continue to be in other um, metals. For example, I'm a large owner of um, Freeport McMoran, and they do, that, mm -hmm. that is a gold miner, but it's mm -hmm. mostly a copper miner. Mm -hmm. So they're, putting, they're making the uh, copper that's going into all the wiring yes. and, and uh, Alcoa aluminum. And mm -hmm. um, there's a rare earth um, Van Eck uh, fund um, and, um, that, that, uh, that is, it has a number of companies that it invests in, none of which you've heard heard of before. Yes, because they're um, they're mining rare earth minerals, um, some of which are in North America and Canada, mm -hmm. many of which are in far flung places, even Afghanistan, but usually over somewhere in Asia. And these are um, materials that are necessary to do a lot of important things. Yeah, and that I've found from time to time, but for periods of time that were very profitable and recently mm -hmm. to be a, an extremely uh, sensitive uh, hedge against inflation. Absolutely, because it, it, it feeds the supply side of the equation. Yes, mm -hmm. yeah, it's right in the supply mm -hmm. chain. Mm -hmm. um, the structure of supply. So yeah, well, that's fantastic. And you know, in in the interest of time, I'd like to maybe bring us back into real estate in Sarasota <laughs> area here a little bit because I I have a feeling we could do this uh, all day. <laughs> but uh, um, you know, I, you've been involved in and um, been the visionary for so many really impressive projects around town and have really had quite a profound impact on on the skyline that exists now today. And maybe if there's some of some of the projects that uh, that come to mind that you would like to share a little bit of background or if there's any stories or anything associated with any of these iconic projects. I think, if I'm not mistaken, you've uh, developed the 888 condo on the bay and, uh, you know, a lot of, lot of others, things like that. Yeah, but, actually, yeah. Eight, I didn't develop 888 condo on the bay, but I think it was one of the first uh, iconic projects. The first, uh, when, when we got the downtown development boom started, in in earnest, um, I remember the one of the first projects being on Gulfstream. Okay, and it's interesting that you're seeing new projects on Gulfstream now. Yes, but um, the project that uh, is probably the uh, most visible, besides the Hyatt and, and the Beauciel, mm -hmm. um, uh, which were which were complicated and and uh, uh, it took me 13, 14 years to do all that. Well, wow. were was the um, what's now known as the Sarasota Bay Club, which okay. which Bob Roskamp and his group yes. ended up developing. But I had um, already um, done the site plan for it okay. and, and named it the Sarasota Bay Club. Oh, that's wonderful! And, yeah. real, and realized that it needed to be ultimately a continuing care retirement community. Okay. And I personally uh, flirted with the idea of of being a continuing care retirement community developer. Mm. But to be to be quite honest, I, I just didn't. You know, your life and your career is what you spend your time doing. And if yeah. you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. Very well said, yes. But um, they're dealing with people's um, declining years, and the reason they call it continuing care, because you go from the, the go-go's to the slow-go's to the no-go's. <laughs> you know, you have, yeah. a, you have a skilled nursing facility for f folks when they become, um, when, when, they, when they can't, take care of themselves, but then you have assisted living and you have independent living. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the, called the continuum. But, um, and here in Sarasota, we've got two or three of the best facilities there are. Okay. But that all started with the Hanson Chriscraft Marina property, which was 10.2 uh. acres. And I put together a group to acquire it. And I, I think I paid about three and a half million for the for the ten acres. Wow! And um, what a, what my a plan <laughs> was to build a, a three hundred and five room uh, Marriott hotel on there. Mm -hmm. And I and I interviewed uh, the oldest, the largest, and one of the newest uh, uh, established franchisees for Marriott. And the the latter was was uh, owned and operated by the former CEO of Marriott, a guy wow. named Jim Durbin. Okay. 
So he lived over on the East Coast, and, and uh, he would come over here, and we became friends. And his wife had passed away, which caused him to retire early. And so he and I worked on that project for a while, and we decided ultimately the only way to really make that project feasible in that location up on the North Trail mm -hmm. is to combine it with a convention center mm. and to include the, uh, uh, that park that's north of that parcel. Okay. And that we couldn't get uh, enough um, county and city support for that idea. Um, and that's when I uh, started to uh, redesign it as a continuing care retirement community with the two towers that splayed out this way and, right. and all the other um, common resources between and then at, on the out parcel, which had been a rug store, mm. a commercial rug store, there's a, there's a, a skilled nursing facility. Okay. And, um, and Bob Raskamp was, uh, he would tell, you know, audiences of, of, of people that were there that, that Charles, Charles Gifler is the one that <laughs> conceived this whole thing. And I thought, that's all right, Bob. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> but he's, yeah. that's his personality. He mm -hmm. was a, he was a high school teacher for many years. He's a wonderful man. Mm. And I've not, I've it, not met him. I've met uh, some him and of his, his him relatives. Him and his wife yeah. are, are huge supporters of the ballet and other yes. wonderful, um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, resources we have here. But uh, that, that, uh, particular sector of real estate requires patience. And mm -hmm. John Meshed, who was one of my uh, mentors, mm -hmm. um, I, I don't think he still practices, but he certainly still does uh, continue to invest and develop, uh, was a lawyer here in town. Mm -hmm. uh, still, his name's still on, Seifert Meshed Law Firm. <laughs> but a uh, brilliant guy, and he's the one that taught me patience. Mm. And it's, that's the hardest thing for young, younger folks to realize. Right. You know? Well, you mentioned 13 years, for example, for the Hyatt Project. And 13 years yeah. for the Hyatt Project. So yeah. another one I'll tell you about is uh, we just finished this year uh, the, an assemblage of uh, four acres directly on Lido Key that sold for more than $50 million. Wow. Um, closed uh, um, closed uh, last year. And... Um, I started that in, um, in 1991. Okay. And what it was is it, it, was, a, an old it was a hotel built in the 50s that had been condominiumized. And so one of the owners called me up and said, why don't you start buying these things? Mm. It'll only take you three or four years. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it took 10 times as long. Yeah. <laughs> 30 wow. years, right? Wow. But, but, um, but it, it worked out because we did have some income in, in the interim and Right. And uh, it's, it was an operating hotel, and in recent years it started to do better. But the, the operating costs are, had risen significantly. Mm. And um, that gives me, uh, there's one other point that I think is really critical to, to, to look at, and that is that 50-year-old uh, uh, hotel condo was only two stories tall. Mm. And we, we hired a guy named Elliot Rose, who works over at um, uh, Caldwell Banker. Banker. Yeah, I, I know Elliot, he's a great guy. And he, he as a result of my uh, project, he said, I, he said I could have retired because of how well I did uh, uh, selling yeah. your property and the, and the neighboring property, but I didn't because I'm getting a lot of calls from other condos that are 50, 60, 70 years old. Mm. And I, I told him, uh, reminded him that uh, Andy Dorr, who uh, worked at Githler Development, um, had uh, persuaded uh, me to pursue uh, redevelopment uh, of the uh, Dolphin Tower, which is now okay. one, one Palm, right? Right. Mm -hmm. And um, it had a severe problem That's right. with, with, uh, with its Foundation, structure. Foundation, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, on, the f on the top of the... Um, parking uh, level uh, is a, a transfer structure and it was failing and it caused a lot of the electric and plumbing and everything else to fail. Mm -hmm. But that's an example, um, the Gulf Beach uh, mm. uh, Hotel, right. uh, we had the end of, of uh, the, the beachfront building, you know, fall into the sand and had to re reshore that. Mm -hmm. So. But there have been tragic examples, like what ha what just happened down uh, Miami Beach. Yeah, it's uh, terrible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and so 
I, I told Andy at the time, I said, I scratched my head. I said, you know, there have got to be incentives, meaning like tax incentives and everything. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, both carrot and stick incentives yes. for condo owners to not just sit there complacently mm -hmm. um, uh, and, and live in these places that, that are far beyond their, their useful mm -hmm. and safe life. Yeah. And, um, and sure enough, uh, the Florida Bar Association has already completed a, a study uh, that you can get from through a member of the Florida Bar Association, but it's going to be the basis of legislation that's going to be taken up early next year, in the next okay. couple of months. Mm -hmm. And at, at the very least, it's expected to include um, strict mandates on all uh, such residential buildings, multifamily buildings, of more than a certain age, say 30 or 40 years, certainly sure. 50 years, mm -hmm. uh, for comprehensive, um, you know, building uh, engineering studies, not just structure, but fire yes. and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And that's going to put a lot of pressure on condo associations mm -hmm. and owners uh, to make better uh, and, and more uh, proactive decisions about what they're going to do yeah. and, and identify potential uh, risky situations. There was a building that Elliot told me about. Okay. Uh, I called him just before this interview. Oh, okay. And, and, and he said, don't get preoccupied with, um, with, with the Surfside, you know, um, cat catastrophe mm -hmm. uh, or one of these other towers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, towers are dramatic and they, people think of towers falling down. And that's a terrible thing. Sure. But he said there was a building up in Bradenton Beach that was only two stories. It was like mm. a eight-unit eight building, and it was condemned. Wow. And yeah, we could have point. had that problem out at Gulf Beach. It's only a two-story building. Sure. You know, mm -hmm. and um, it's a very good because point. these floors, these floor, a lot, some of these floors have nothing under them. That's mm -hmm. the way it was designed. Mm -hmm. and, and the rebar is, is cracking. And y if you put enough live load on a floor at, at grade. Yeah. You know, you could fall through four or five feet right. in, into a crawl space and people could get injured or killed. Yeah. And th this is all over Florida. Yeah. So uh, why do I say this mm -hmm. is because your uh, audience has, should really embrace and understand the implications of what this is going to mean. There are going to be a lot more assemblages. Mm -hmm. The infill opportunity uh, will be uh, opened up. Mm -hmm. To your earliest point mm -hmm. in this whole interview, mm -hmm. your point was, you know, how can somebody start today when everything's already happened, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and this is, this is an opportunity to open up that oyster because mm. uh, there's going to be a lot of infill development. Interesting. Something I've never really given thought to, and I can see, see Well, and, Andy Dorr mm -hmm. took it further than that. This is, I'm going to contradict myself a little bit. He said, you know, he said, you got to know that some of our larger competitors, Charles, have already created maps that, that have the underlying zoning uh, beneath yeah. these two and three story on dilapidated buildings. And if it's, if it's 10 or 12 stories or something like that, you know, it's got a big bullseye on it. If it's, if you're taking down a two story building and all you can do is build a two story building and uh, you won't even get any views, even though you're on the water, I see. it's, it doesn't generate as much, um, um, gross potential sale volume mm -hmm. for your new project to uh, justify paying somebody, you know, $2 million for their, you know, $300,000 mm -hmm. tiny little apartment. Exactly. Know, right. With jealousy windows. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd like to, um, to revisit just quickly your, your comment about um, being patient and uh, in, have, have you always been patient or is that something you've developed in your approach? I guess I've always been fairly, uh, a little bit more patient than, than my uh, colleagues. Yeah. I guess I've always been a little bit more patient, uh, probably because I'm just, it's my nature. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I can see you have a, an unhurried <laughs> demeanor, <laughs> which is good. <laughs> you know, on the, on the other hand, um, you know, I think back on, on all the 40 years of doing those trade shows mm -hmm. and the kind of wear and tear on the airframe that mm -hmm. I put, and, and um, you know, I, would, I was moving constantly, almost at a pace that was so fast that I couldn't even think about what I was doing particularly. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, the next minute I, I would look up and there I was talking to, you know, 5,000 people wow. in, in an yeah. audience starting a show and it became second nature. But even then, you know, um, 
I was thinking about what next year's conference. I think the key that's related, this first cousin to your patient's uh, theme, is to look at, at, the, at the big picture and look at the distant goal. Mm. If you can start to create and identify distant goals while you're messing around here, you know, getting little transactions done to keep the, the lights on, that's mm -hmm. very important. Obviously, do keep the lights on. <laughs> but but in the, in the, for God's sake, make sure you've got some distant goals, mm. something you can achieve, something you can work on, something you can get a foothold in today that is a distant goal that you can, that you can achieve because that, that's how you're going to develop uh, not only wealth for yourself but help the whole overall community and make this an even better place. Well, with that, guys, no, that, that was perfect. That was literally the, the best nugget of, of wisdom I could uh, think to have. Well, it's a pleasure. You're, no, you're... And, I'm, and I'm just joking. Yeah, we've got a few more questions for you. But after that statement, I'm just like, what more could possibly be said other than that? That was beautiful and, 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 and so true, you know. It, it all comes down to, to that vision, you know, when, when you can clearly see something. Well, you're it, a good example. Well, well, thank you for that. Yeah. I mean, you're a great, you're a very good example um because when you got here it's not like you know you were a pioneer mm -hmm. there were a few other real estate companies There's a couple <laughs> <laughs> so yeah we're we're excited about our our future as well so you know going forward are there any projects you know what how are you spending your time these days are there any projects that you have coming up you're excited about that you're able to speak of yet or <laughs> well the, you know the tour project was uh you won't be surprised, but the Atour project was, was, uh, had to be taken uh, offline. We had mm -hmm. to refund, I think it was 12 pre-sale contracts. Mm -hmm. We were yeah. ahead of our pre-sale goals. Yeah. We had our construction loan. We had our, uh, everything uh, queued up and ready to go. And uh, it, it, it would have been one of the most successful projects on the Bayfront. And, um, and because of the, it was delayed tragically, um, but it, it, it appeared to be reversibly uh, because of a CMBS loan mm -hmm. where we couldn't get the, the site out of the loan because mm -hmm. the hotel had, had fallen below um, its debt service uh, coverage ratio, not to get too technical. Mm -hmm. And um, so then the COVID hit and our financial partner got hit particularly hard because mm -hmm. of COVID because his other investments were all in hotel Assets uh, in yeah. development, and that was a big loser in this and, COVID and, uh, value cycle. value yeah. play type um, stressed uh, assets when he bought them, that kind of thing. Mm. And so the the um, so then we had to we were looking at recapitalizing the whole thing, but at this point, it's it's um, it's likely to go the whole thing's likely to go back to the drawing board. Mm. I do hope to be involved in, in that, and, um, but, but we'll have to see what happens. We did a lot of work on that. Um, certainly, there will be new residential towers uh, on, that, on that site, and, and obviously a few more within the quay itself. Yes. Uh, mm -hmm. Contrary to a, a popular uh, misunderstanding, none of our project was part of the quay. The quay surrounded it all the way down to... Right, right. Um, you know the the Boulevard of the Arts, but um, yes. But apart from that, there are some other um, there are some other projects that I'm working on that I can't really talk about at this at this yeah, stage. I figured, but uh, <laughs> but they're similar. Yeah, <laughs> that's exciting. And so obviously, you're putting your money where your mouth is. That you're bullish on the future of of real estate in this region and. Um, you know, and, and I'm and I'm personally curious. You know, um, for for you, what would you say you get the most joy from in the development process? Is it the, the visioning the end product, or do you enjoy the financial part of putting the pieces together? What what's your? I think it's the first. I think it's visioning the the, the end product. Yeah, and and that's always been um, from the Bociel and and the and the Quay. I mean, not not the Quay, but the. Uh, you know the the other projects in there and the Hyatt. Um, there are a lot of fairly subtle issues like the redevelopment of the ballroom, which we got done in seven months we, wow. to tear down an existing hotel's ballroom, when the when the hotel relies for 55 percent of its business on group mm -hmm. uh, 
meetings mm -hmm. is is a very difficult and treacherous, costly <laughs> yes. undertaking. <laughs> yeah. And it took a lot of persuasion of my partners and, and even the the flag, Hyatt Corporation. Uh and and uh but Hyatt was excited because we got we did get it done in seven months and and they told me that they thought they thought it was going to take 12 months and mm. and they they uh, said the fastest ballroom they ever built was in nine months <laughs> so we were uh, we were pleased at that and uh the redevelopment of that of that marina in there but um yeah i i think uh uh i i just like the whole the whole thing i i do miss the hotel business i must admit do you because yeah. i'm not at the moment uh having owned and operated about uh, seven of them mm -hmm. from here to, um, uh, to, to Orlando, um, I, uh, I, I don't, don't have any hotel assets at the moment. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it, there, has, there is a, a, a pretty crowded field, though, frankly. Yes. There's a whole lot more people looking to get into the hotel business right. than there were. It seems like we're a little light on hotels in, in this immediate Sarasota market, but, um, but yes, I agree. It is, a, it's a crowded space. <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. Um, which I would have been shocked. I mean, hearing you say that even, uh, makes me uh, twitch a little bit because the, the off the water downtown market mm -hmm. was, was very, um, light and and difficult mm -hmm. and and suddenly people started taking that leap of faith i wasn't right. one of them yeah of building hotels in the downtown with little or no views of the water and and mm -hmm. just banking on betting on making that leap of faith that the downtown was going to become such an, a vibrant exciting place right you didn't need to be on the water right and and um it's almost that the the hotel's on, on the west side of US 41 are at something of a disadvantage because it's, it takes longer and mm, a little mm -hmm. less convenient to get to the action right. for, for all the uh, retail and entertainment and restaurants uh, on, on the east side. Yeah, I've got a, a couple more questions and we'll start to wrap up here in the interest of time. I'd love to chat all day long, but I know you're busy <laughs> as well. So, um, so, you know, one thing as, as someone who's been here a while, I, I think, as I recollected about 97 is when I moved here. And you know, as we spoke, you know, I, I remember Main Street being basically a bunch of antique shops. So, you know, how, how do you shake your prejudices from the past from in terms of an investment perspective? Where, you know, even even people like myself, two years ago, I thought a $200,000 lot just east of the trail would be is is expensive, and now the, by large they're four hundred thousand dollars. And so, do you how, do you have a way that you think about shaking some of your your past prejudices from experience, um, financially speaking, and, and and how to focus on the future and not kind of have have your vision tainted from maybe bad or irrelevant data of the past. Robert, I'm I'm so glad you took so long to ask that question because when you started I wasn't I, I was really gonna say I have no idea but, but <laughs> So I gave you but, but a now, chance to formulate an answer. Yes. <laughs> and now I have now I have an answer that I'm very, very pleased with. Okay. And the answer is quite simply, you need to go study markets that are already ahead of you. Perfect. Yeah. So if you're, mm -hmm. if you're, uh, and it, and it, and it applies to other areas of investing like stocks and, mm -hmm. and, um, if, if you want to know what your little technology company is, could look like in the future, look at Apple or, or, or Intel or, mm -hmm. and if you want to know what, what, if, um, if these, these numbers, and I, I have actually said this to my partners, uh, because I told them, you know, we're going to need to get up to $1,200 a square foot or $1,400 a square foot. And I'd have conversations with, mm -hmm. with your colleagues in the, in the real estate sales business uh, about that. And, and how do we know we can achieve those uh, r rates per square foot and selling prices? Mm -hmm. Because we can look at um, areas on the East Coast and Naples and see the same product uh, selling for two thousand dollars true per square foot mm -hmm. and um, so does that mean we're going to go to two thousand dollars tomorrow no but does that mean we're going to go higher it does and mm -hmm. lo and behold you know just in the last 12 months we've seen a lot of that happen yeah 
Yeah, well, that's, that is a brilliant answer. So Thank glad you. I gave that little <laughs> space. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we can talk about anything else you'd like. I just wanted to, you know, make sure I asked the question if there's any other, you know, wisdom, life lessons, anything that you'd like to share with the audience uh, that maybe anything that we haven't covered, um, you know, just curious if anything comes to mind. Well, I think the, uh, the biggest key is to never give up and uh, never let the uh, never let the uh, the daily grind and life's um, difficulties, which are absolutely inevitable. I mean, sure. my, my skull was crushed when I was uh, 12 years old, and I couldn't play um, contact sports, football, or anything like that. It it, it did turn me into a bit of a, a sports agnostic that mm. Jim Durbin. Uh, teased me about uh, one day when I inadvertently interrupted him watching his game on the weekend with Notre Dame. Yeah. But, um, but there are other, there are many um, challenges, uh, physical, emotional, and financial that you're going to encounter. Um, but you have to absolutely never give up. And I know mm. I'm telling Noah about the flood here. You've, you've, uh, <laughs> you've uh, never given up, but that's, that's the most important thing. I think the, another important thing was Bob Morris, uh, another major developer, probably a much longer career than mine, uh, the landings and many other major projects here, and his son's also uh, a highly reputable uh, developer, businessman. He, he pointed out to me, he said, you know, you, you do need to make sure that you're always grateful because if you're grateful, you can never become bitter. Yes. And attitude is everything. I, I suppose I learned that at a young age from my dad who was in World War II and li helped liberate some uh, European countries and um, taught me the importance of being positive and being active in the community. But uh, later, of course, it was Dennis Waitley mm -hmm. uh, who... Um, coached uh, Super Bowl athletes and Apollo astronauts and, mm -hmm. and explained how, um, you know, your, your, your self-expectations is everything. Yes. And, and um, I, I made this point before, but if you, if you, can, if you can find your niche in, in, your, in your work, you'll never work a day in your life, you know, because yes. you'll have so much fun doing it. Mm-hmm. Love that. Well, I have found this conversation to be thoroughly enjoyable. Maybe if we're lucky enough, maybe someday there'll be a round two, maybe a project to talk about or promote or something along those lines. It'd be but, my uh, pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you so much, Charles, for joining us today. And um, yeah, if, uh, if you'd like to invite anybody to reach out to you, is there any, any particular website or, any, or anything like that that you'd like oh, to? Oh, I'm... Um uh, yeah, I'm, I have, um, I'm Charles at GitlerDevelopment.com. That's okay. my, uh, that's my email address. And yeah, absolutely. If someone wants to reach out to me, Charles at GitlerDevelopment.com, I'd be happy to look at a, at something yeah. and, uh, and start a conversation. Fantastic. Thanks for asking. Yes, of course. <laughs> well, again, thank you for coming on the show today. I want to thank everybody for joining us today and, uh, and, and listening to this conversation. And I'm sure that we'll be speaking again before long. Have a great day, everyone.